But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This is the word of God. You may be seated. In 1914, an explorer named Ernest Shackleton took on an expedition with 27 other men. It was, a, uh, it was an outrageous idea. They were going to sail in 1914 to Antarctica. And then they were going to get off the boat from one end of Antarctica and through dog sled travel the length and breadth of the continent of Antarctica and be picked up on the other side by another vessel. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. He had left a whaling station in South Georgia Island in 1914. He would not return until 1916, having his ship wrecked on an iceberg, on an ice floe, sorry, an ice floe. And for two years in Antarctica, he and his entire crew survived. I was uh, told about this story first by uh, Brent Owen, and when he first told me about it, I said, and they all died or something terrible. He's like, they all lived. I was like, what? I got to check this out. Here's one thing I think, think was really interesting about the story. So they're at this whaling station, South Georgia Island, and he met with, he had his meals with the manager of that, of that whaling station. And uh, the man knew him, a man named Sorley. And when when Shackleton returns two years later, harrowing return, he uh, doesn't look very good. He's emaciated. His hair has grown. His fingernails have grown. He looks really rough. His clothes are worn out. And they go to this whaling station because they know it's there. They see two young people, and they try to talk with them and tell them to go get the manager of the whaling station. They see their ragged appearance, and they start running as fast as they can, and I can't blame them. I think I would too. He comes up to the house and he meets with um, the man who he had known for quite a while, and that man named Sorley. And in his diary, he said, Mr. Sorley came out to the door and said, Well, don't you know me, I said? I know your voice, he replied doubtfully. You're the mate of the Daisy. The Daisy was the last of the American open boat whalers. It had visited the South Georgia, South Georgia in 1913. He said, my name is Shackleton. I said, immediately he put out his hand and said, come in, come in. You ever wonder why the disciples don't recognize Jesus? Because they weren't expecting to see Jesus. Like if you went on an expedition to Antarctica, just like to go to Antarctica, and I don't hear from you in two years, I'm assuming you're dead. 
Um, not only did they assume he was dead, the other ship that was supposed to pick them up on the other side of it also got shipwrecked, almost lost all hands in a hurricane. They had survived in a small little boat, so he wasn't expecting to see him, nor in the appearance that he came in. The disciples, they don't recognize Jesus right away, but when they do, when they do, Mary Magdalene says, Rabboni, which means teacher. The two walking to Emmaus said, did we not feel our hearts burn within us? And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Seeing the resurrected Lord changes everything. In John 8, 36, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What is Jesus referring to? Maybe it was when Abraham died and was with, the, with God and he could see Jesus. But maybe it was when God made a covenant with Abraham, he saw a shadow of the day that, of Christ and he was happy. In Genesis 15, 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, smoke, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. You know, I had no idea like several weeks ago this was not my plan to preach on this for Holy Week. I had a whole different plan. It was going to be about the joy, and about the joy of Easter, the joy of the resurrection. And it has been a bit, but it's really been along this line because we had been in the, we've been in this series on the patriarchs, meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we haven't even gotten to the part where Abram becomes Abraham yet. And we get to this part of 1517, and I was doing some research on it, and I, I realized this is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. This is the moment where God makes a covenant, he makes a promise, he makes a contract with Abraham, and he walks through by himself. Normally in these, kind of, um, these kinds of covenants, two parties would walk through and they would speak blessings on those who would keep it and cursing on those who would break it, and, but the Lord walks through alone. That's why in Genesis 15, 17, God appears as this flaming, flaming smoking pot and flaming torch. Verse 17 when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. That was the old covenant. But now Christ, the sacrifice, and the priest who calls whosoever who would believe to this new covenant. Christ ascended to heaven. And I wonder what Abraham's response was when Christ ascended back to heaven. He saw his day and he was happy. Seeing the resurrected Christ changes everything. On Friday, my last point before we took communion was that the curtain, once Christ was crucified, dead, the curtain of the temple was broken, was torn in two. The curtain separated God from man, but now there is no veil. You can enter into the Holy of Holies whenever, where, where, where the Holy Spirit dwells. It's the guarantee of what is to come. Sarah just sang that song, Ain't No Grave. And I don't know if you noticed, she changed a couple of the words in certain parts. And I thought it was awesome. Instead of saying just, Ain't No Grave is going to hold this body down, she said, Ain't No Grave is going to hold his body down. This is one of my favorite things of Scripture when it talks about how death tried to swallow Christ. It choked. And death right now is choking to death for, Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? It has been swallowed up in victory. Ain't no grave going to hold his body down. When death tried to swallow him whole, it choked, and it is currently choking to death. 
because he has risen. And one day I too will rise because there ain't no grave going to hold this body down. You might always seem even kind of weird in church, even though like every Orthodox Bible-believing church believes this, very few preach on this, that our final hope is the resurrection of the dead, the bodily resurrection of the dead. Every loved one who's died, and you're like, hopefully one day I'll see them again. You thought maybe in heaven, some disembodied existence, and there is that right now, but one day you will physically see them with your eyes, feel them with your hands, hear them with your ears, and more importantly, the greater joy is to look upon the one who is pierced, to look upon the one who's, who is crowned with thorns, now crowned in glory with many diadems, with many crowns. Jesus wasn't the only person crucified. The Romans were by far the best at crucifixion, but they were in, weren't even the only people who did crucify people. You may be familiar with the movie Spartacus. It has a big chin guy, I can't remember his name right now, Michael Douglas or Kirk Douglas, the dad with the big chin. He's in it. And he's Spartacus, and you have that end where he's like, where everybody's like, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus, and they all get crucified. Well, that part didn't happen, but the part where they all get crucified did. And in the end of the Third Servile War, some 2,000 people were crucified. I heard Nunstep Sanchian claim that the Romans had to wipe out a forest in order to get enough crosses. Slaves and enemy leaders were crucified. Self-proclaimed messiahs and rebels were crucified. But only one person who was ever crucified did not stay in his grave. Only one's death could actually mean something for you and me today. Only one person, the grave, couldn't hold him down. If Christ stayed in the grave, then nothing changes. The apostle says that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, his birth, his miracles, his life means nothing. But because Christ is raised, all hopes are real. He is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what is unseen. The new covenant has been made. And we talk about seeing the resurrected Christ. It changes everything. Spiritually, we know that and we are more blessed because we have not seen and we believe. But one day when you pass through this veil of tears, when you die, if you are the Lord's, you will, see, you will look upon him. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, I'm not going to go through the whole plot here, but the patient, the person in the story when he dies and he sees the, when he sees the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what it says. Uncle Screwtape says this, All the delights of sense or heart or intellect with whom, with which you could have tempted him, even the light, delights of virtue itself, now seem to him in comparison but a half-nauseated attractions that would seem to a man who, has, who hears that his true beloved, whom he has loved all his life, whom he had believed to be dead, is alive, and now even at the door. That is what the disciples experienced on Resurrection Day. From what they knew, he died. And it was over. Peter goes back to his nets. That's where Jesus finds him. He doesn't carry on the ministry. It's probably one of the most convincing proofs of the resurrection is that if it was false, we already see in the biblical account, if it's false, they stay doing what they're doing. They're not people of renown. But when they see the resurrected Christ, it changes everything because now they are in a new covenant. 
a covenant which gives us a new heart, which gives us the Holy Spirit. The book of Hebrews really is about a book for understanding how the Old Covenant and the New Covenant work together. If you open up your Bible, you'll see it's divided into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. The word testament literally means covenant. The Old Covenant, which is split into four major covenants and many other covenants within those four, and then you have the New Covenant, which is prophesied in the Old, fulfilled in the New. In chapter 9, the part that we didn't read, the author reminds the readers of how God instructed Moses to make a tabernacle for the first covenant and how he instructed him to raise up the priesthood. Jesus, however, is a high priest of a new covenant. In fact, his priesthood goes before the old covenant when you had Melchizedek, and he is a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And if you're wondering who in the world is Melchizedek, you're going to have to go online to either our Facebook page YouTube page, website, and you're going to have to scroll back a few because I did a whole sermon on it. I'm not going to do that today or we're going to be here much longer than perhaps your stomach will allow. But Jesus being the high priest of the new covenant, this is what this does for us, is that he becomes our high priest. Two, he purifies us by his blood. And three, he becomes our final mediator, the final middle person. First one, verse 11, he is a high priest, verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not, that is not this creation. Jesus Christ is not a dead martyr, but an alive priest. Jesus is not the ultimate target for pity. It is right that we should have sorrow because we understand that all of the wounds he sustained, including the worst of all, suffering the very wrath of God for your and my sins, that should break our heart. Because as we are believers, we realize that was what we put him through. But he is not the source for ultimate pity. A good man done in by an unjust system. He was born, he lived, and died, and rose again by the purpose of God the Father. He laid down his life, therefore he could pick it back up. His death and resurrection were not symbolic, but literal. And now he is literally at the right hand of God, serving as the high priest and the king and the prophet forever. Glory to God. The role of the priest in the Old Covenant... To understand Christ's role as a high priest in this new covenant, we need to understand the role of the high priest in the old. They made sacrifices on behalf of the people. In fact, during Passover, they would do certain things like the scapegoat where they'd put their hands on this goat. And they would symbolically transfer all the sins of the people onto the goat and then they would shoot away into the wilderness. They would do the same with the other sacrifices and they would cut them and drain their blood out and then spread the blood on the altar. On behalf of the people. They offered prayers on behalf of the people. They made atonement by sprinkling the blood of their sacrifices and offering the prayers of the people at the altar of God. For all intents and purposes, they were the middle people between God and his people. In chapter 9, even the part we just read, we have a reference to the old tabernacle. Can you put up the picture of the old tabernacle for me? Fantastic. Um, if you can uh, see up here, hopefully, you have the uh, gate that leads into the outer court. This is where people like you and I could go. I'm assuming you're not Jewish. If you're Jewish today, you get to go much further. But if you're not Jewish, you could just go into this area. You could then enter into the holy place, 
if you're a Jewish, that is, where you could see the showbread, the temple of incense, the golden candle stand. But in the very inner part, you had separated one place that only one person could go one time a year at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and that was the Holy of Holies. The reason why only one person could go one time a year after they had gone through every ceremonial act to become clean in the eyes of God is because God's holiness was there, and God's holiness is not something sinful person can endure. In fact, they would put bells on the high priest. Because if he didn't do things perfectly, if he went in there casually, God told them, I just might kill you. And when God says that, it's, 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 very, good, it's very good time to start listening. Um, I've been, um, I've said this a couple times, but when I'm uh, having to run on the treadmill, uh, which is super boring, um, I've, been reading, I've been reading through the scriptures in addition to all my other Bible reading. And this other day, I'm reading through uh, Exodus, and the, uh, the, you have the requirements for the priests. And one of the requirements for the priests where God tells them, do this this way. Do not burn strange fire on my altar. Don't do it. And if you, I, here's a spoiler alert. If you haven't read the Old Testament, Aaron's two sons do not listen to the Lord. They burn strange fire on the incense, on the altar, and God consumes them with fire. Don't mess around with God's holiness. So only once a year could one person go into this, into this earthly tent. In chapter 9, even the part where we, where we read this morning, we have a reference back to this old tent, the old tabernacle God instructed Moses to build. When God told Moses to build that tabernacle, he didn't just tell him, okay, here's the general blueprints. He said, you remember what you saw on the mountain? Because when, when Abraham was on the mountain, he got to see the altar of God in heaven. And he was to make it according to what he saw in heaven. I don't have any pictures of that. Maybe one day I will, once I'm in glory, but I don't today. Just take my word for it, not take my word for it. Go back to Exodus. That is what the Lord tells him. Make this according to, the blue, to what you had seen, the heavenly tabernacle. The earthly one was a type and shadow of the true temple, just as all the things in the Old Testament are types and shadows of Jesus Christ. They are similar but they are not the substance. We are told he is a high priest of the good things that have come. In some of your translations, it's going to say the good things have, that have yet to come, but the proper translation truly is have come. These good things are here because the sacrifice has been made, applied, and the covenant has been accepted. And he is a high priest of this new covenant. In this, what are these good things? Redemption. Relationship with God a new heart. These are the birthrights of a new covenant believer. These are not for the super spiritual. Every believer, when they come to Christ, they get a new heart. They get a new spirit inside of them. The Holy Spirit dwells in them. And can you put up the tabernacle again? This right here is you. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. When Paul says, do not engage in sexual sin, he's like, do you realize you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And when you do such things, it's like in the Old Testament when they would put the, uh, the, the idols of Baal and other gods into the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know how fantastic that is? That means at any point in your day, you can come face to face with the glory of God. Moses, when he went face to face with the glory of God and it was only God's back so he wouldn't die, 
When he came down, his face was literally shining so bright. They're like, put a veil over him. And it wasn't in that mean high school way. They literally couldn't look at him. And that was a fading glory. The glory we have that's inside of us is the Holy Spirit. And it does not fade away. Because the high priest of this new covenant has gone into the heavens to make sacrifice on our behalf. The Old Testament priest now can rest. Before the resurrection, the priest worked day and night for the redemption of Israel. They created rivers of blood of the animals that they sacrificed, and they sacrificed them in and out all the time. But after the sacrifice of Christ, which was once for all, they can now rest. In Hebrews, it tells us that these sacrifices, they made no lasting change. But Christ, our true great high priest, makes the sacrifice once for all. And he makes the sacrifice once for all, and by his blood he purifies us. Verse 12 and 13. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and of calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing the eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinklings of defiled persons um, with the ashes of the heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. He makes us clean. How to be clean? Outwardly, cleanliness was important in the Old Testament. Before they were ready for the, first, for the Mosaic Covenant, they had to wash several times. If the priest didn't purify himself just right, God might just kill him, like I mentioned before. It's why, he, it's why the high priest wore, wore, wore bells. You stop, you're too pokey, you might just get, get a tug. Being clean mentally and spiritually is what the new covenant promises. Not clean ceremonially, but clean from the very inside. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. You see, in our culture at this time, the one cardinal sin above all is to shame somebody for any reason. Some shaming is out of bounds, but sometimes when you do shameful things, you should feel shame. That's our biggest cardinal sin. So nobody wants to shame anybody for anything, but here's the thing, the shame remains. The shame remains. You know, if you are doing shameful things, you know you carry that shame on you. How do you get clean? How do you get clean? You can cover it up. You can put on perfume. You can axe body spray yourself until people's eyes start watering. But you need to get clean. You need to wash Symbolically, in the Old Testament, when they would sprinkle the blood, it cleansed them from their uncleanness. But in the New Covenant, Christ's blood that is sprinkled on the heavenly altar truly cleanses you. That's why in 1 John, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you feel clean today? If you don't and you truly are Christ, it's because you allowed enough of the lies of the enemy to seep into you. And to truly believe that the blood of Christ isn't enough. i got to do my part. No, you don't. He truly does cleanse. We engage in filth and we don't want to wash. We just want others not to mention the rotting smell coming from our deeds of done in darkness. How can we become clean? By entering in. Christ enters into the holy places. Only once a year could the high priest enter into the presence of God. Just once. 
There is a curtain to separate the Holy of Holies, but when Christ enters, he tears it in two. The presence of God is now in you. You are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. To this day, observant Jews will celebrate the Day of Atonement. It's called Yom Kippur. This year is September 24th. Here's my biggest question. What are they exactly doing that day? There is no high priest, there is no altar, there is no temple. But even if there was, from the day Christ was crucified, and especially from the day he was rose again, the temple became a building, the altar a bench, and no one who called himself a high priest was actually a high priest from that point on. But for you, dear beloved of the Father, every day for you is Yom Kippur. Every day is a reminder that your high priest entered into the heavenly temple once and for all to secure your eternal redemption. He is a priest who purifies. In the Old Covenant, the priest would, would take the blood of people's sacrifice and sprinkle it on the altar. This is only a shadow. His purpose was to point to the one who is both the sacrifice and the priest of the New Covenant, not a shadow, but the substance. And this blood cleans. One of the paradoxical ideas in the Bible is how blood cleans. I say paradoxical because if I get blood on any of my clothes, I'm not like, great, it's clean now. I can start wearing it around. I guess I suppose if it's like a really dark red, nobody will know. In the, in the Bible, throughout the scriptures, both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, we understand the spiritual meaning here, that the life, that the power of the life is in the blood. Christ's life was in that blood, and now that blood has been sprinkled on the heavenly altar, making you and I clean. So he is the high priest of this new covenant. He cleanses us by his blood as the priest and as the sacrifice, but he is also the mediator of this new covenant as well. Here's something you might, because you're new covenant believers, you take this for granted, but here's the thing, you cannot go to God by yourself. You can't. I mean, he's too glorious. I mean, we just talked about what happened with, um, there was one guy when the ark of God started stumbling, he decided he was going to steady it with his hand and God struck him dead. We talked about Moses going before the presence of God, the, the, the dimmed portion, you know, he, he has his back towards Moses and his face shines. The prophet Isaiah, who I guarantee you, you are not more righteous than he when he sees God in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. You know what he says? Woe to me means I'm, I'm coming undone. I'm going to die because I've seen God. You can't go to God on your own. There needs to be a mediator. There needs to be somebody in the middle. You can't just go to God. People will say that there are many roads to God, like in, like in Roman times, how there were many roads to Rome. And then it's only sincerity that's necessary. All that really matters is if you are sincere. You know, that's what the king of Judah, the, the one that Isaiah mentioned in the year King Uzziah died. Uzziah was a righteous king of Judah. And he thought, I can just go to God in my own way. I'm the king, so I'm going to go into the temple courts. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to start burning incense. And the priest, tried to, the priest tried to stop him, and he gets upset. And then God strikes him with leprosy till the day he dies. He thought that as a king, he should be able to go into the temple and burn incense. But here's the thing. No, there is no roads that lead to God. There is only a cross that leads to God. Christ is the mediator. He is the final and only real mediator between God and man. He is the only one who can bridge that gap. 
Here is the perfect example of why we need a mediator. It's in the, first, it's in the uh, Mosaic Covenant, part of the Old Covenant. The most in-depth retelling of the Old Covenant is the Mosaic Covenant because it's what we know as the law, the Ten Commandments, the ceremonial law, the civil law, the judicial law. And when God was speaking his, his law to his people, when he was starting this first covenant, he spoke directly to the people, but they couldn't endure it. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. So when God makes his covenant with Abram, great darkness fills the land. When he makes his covenant with Moses, great darkness fills the land. But when he makes his covenant with Christ, that's what we read on Good Friday, darkness covered the land. Not verse 19, and Moses, and they, and, and said to Moses, this is the people, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. If you know Jesus, you have the privilege that those in the old covenant could only dream of. You can draw near to God. You can enter the Holy of Holies anytime you want. Say again, anytime you want. In the book of Revelation, we often use chapter 3 as an evangelism verse to explain. We, it's the verse that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we try to tell people who don't know the Lord, He's standing at the door of your heart. Let Him in. Jesus Christ was writing this through John to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus, they were zealous. They were radical. They hated the things God hated. He's like, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans? Awesome. I hate them too. But you've forgotten your first love. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Would you let me in? We have so many trials and temptations. We have so much sorrow in our hearts. And all the while, we have the keys to the kingdom. Any second, instead of hugging the cactus, instead of bearing the weight alone, instead of just being like, well, that's just my cross to bear, which is the most stupid phrase I've ever heard. It's practically blasphemy. We could go into the very throne room of God and we receive mercy and grace. What does that look like in your life? What are you carrying today? What load is bearing down on you? And the whole time, the Holy Spirit, Christ through the Holy Spirit is saying, I bought that. I was crucified, dead, and buried. I rose again on the third day. I'm the priest of the new covenant. Why are you still holding on to it? Why do you have this secret shameful sin? And you're like, well, nobody can find out about this or my life is going to be ruined. And he's like, just give it up to me. I am faithful. And when Abraham, when God made his covenant with Abraham, he walked through it alone. And on Jesus Christ, he took on the curse of the old covenant because we couldn't keep our part of the covenant of the Mosaic covenant. 
Why do we keep holding on to these things when Christ has become the curse for us? When we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and at any moment we can draw near. Here's the saddest thing of all is that you will have preachers this morning who will take this and they will use like the verse about the angel rolled the stone away. They're like, what, what stone does the angel need to roll away from your heart? And they'll make it so man-centered. How do you need to clean up your act? Come to the throne of grace with confidence because the blood has made the way. And give it up. Reckon it as dead. In the book of Hosea, it is a heart-wrenching book where God, through the metaphor of his prophets, basically, he does say that he's divorcing Israel because of what they've done. He basically had it. And the first people he wants to talk to is the priests. And he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Instead of teaching them the law, they were teaching them everything else. And you'll have pastors today and they will try to do something cute. In fact, last year somebody tried to do the crucifixion with Tony Stark and Iron Man. It's not funny, it's blasphemous. You have other pastors, whatever hobby horse they have on a Sunday morning, they'll be like, oh, Jesus is just like that. We need to stop... We need to stop messing around with these things. I don't care if you think Jesus is cool. He's the Savior. He's the great high priest of this new covenant. And because of his shed blood and because he's this high priest, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and there is true help there. So many times people will try to put this in. Christ does his best and we have to do the rest or something to that effect. Well, it's great that we begin with the Spirit. Now we have to operate in the works. And Paul the Apostle in Galatians, he's furious over this. How can you, who started with the Spirit, now try to justify yourself through the flesh? True freedom, true deliverance comes from the fountain of God. I love the old hymns. I find them so deeper than music today of any kind. And one such one, and I know why, because so many of these hymn writers, they lived it, and it cost them something to write this. One of my favorite ones was written by a man named William Cooper. He was an abolitionist. He was friends and neighbors with John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. He also suffered from deep depression, to the point he had to be institutionalized. The point where... It got quite dark. And it was through reading the scriptures, specifically Isaiah 13.1, about this fountain that would be opened up for Judah and Israel, and he knew it was for him as well. And he wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. It's the great paradox of the Christian life. If I'm, if I'm in the pit of despair, I don't say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, like Stuart Smalley from the old SNL things, and, and doggone it, people like me. I go to the throne room of grace, and there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners, this sinner plunges beneath that flood, loses all his guilty stains. In verse 15, we might find it difficult if you don't think God has any say in who gets saved. But we see here that there are those who are called, that God foreknows those he predestines. 
and the sacrifice of Christ and Christ's work on the cross and as our final mediator, the final middle person, because he is both God and man, secures for us an eternal redemption. And it's our sin, not in part, but the whole. One promise of God that seems almost too good to be true, and for many people it does seem too good to be true, because throughout the century, wolves have come to steal this blessed assurance from believers that God forgives sin, and he forgives it all. I mean, it'll be like, he forgives sin, yes, that's good, but now I need to work. Jesus Christ is the gospel, and Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. It's a cloud without water, trying to Christianize the occult or some other religion or anything else, you lose the cross. And if you lose the cross, you lose the power for salvation because it is a cross that bridges the divide between God and man and nothing else. Worship team, would you come up at this time? It's been an interesting series from the Abrahamic covenant to the new covenant. all the parallels. In the Old Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, Abraham splits the animals in two. In the New Covenant, Christ's blood is pouring out. He is crushed. On Resurrection Day, we remember that he didn't stay in the grave. No grave could hold him down. He is now our high priest, and he lives forever, and he pleads for us. Maybe you feel alone today, and it's probably not true, but let's say there's no person who prays for you, nobody. You have an advocate in heaven who never sleeps, who pleads for you. He purifies you. I said before, do you feel pure today or do you feel dirty? If you are a believer, that's not for you. If you don't know the Lord today, though, do exactly what that hymn had said Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ because he is our final middle person between us and God because he is God and he bridges that gap with the cross. So here's the challenge for every single moment of every single day, not just today, not just because it's Easter. Make a habit of going into the Holy of Holies. This isn't the old covenant where it's once a year. Many people, they only want to come to church for the once a year. You don't have to. It's not the old covenant. Every second of every day, you can be at your lunch break and you can enter into the Holy of Holies and you can receive mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Make it a personal habit. Set aside time every day to not just pray. Sometimes we do that and we make it a work. And we're like, okay, I got my 30 minutes of prayer in today. I got my one chapter of Bible reading. All right, so I should be good actively engage. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he talked about when he became Mr. Universe, he saw all these other people trying to also become Mr. Universe. He's like, you know, the problem was is that they'd come in, they'd just lift. He's like, I would tell them, you need to get inside the muscle. And what he meant was you need to concentrate on what you're doing, not try to ignore what you're doing and hoping your body is just going to figure it out, but be concentrating in what you're doing as you're lifting concentrate in what you're doing. Don't just go through the motions. Touch the very heart of God and make it your habit. Worship team's going to lead us in our final song. This is our opportunity to respond to the message, to go into the Holy of Holies ourselves, to receive mercy and grace.
Thank you so much, worship team. Please lead us in our final song.